This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following contains depictions of violence and suicide that some listeners may find offensive. We advise caution for any listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The armies of Salome marched across the open fields. Their scouts had heard warning that their longtime enemy, King Iobates, had dispatched an army in their direction. Ever eager to test their mettle, they gathered their forces and planned to meet the foolish king's military head-on, like they had so many times before. The Salimian general smirked as he looked out over his battle-hardened troops. Only a fool would think victory against such a force was possible. The general cursed as a low mist rolled in over the surrounding mountains, enveloping his army in a blue-gray haze. His archers would be useless in such a fog. He opened his mouth to command his soldiers to keep advancing when an arrow struck the man standing to his right. As the general watched, more arrows began to rain down on his soldiers from above. The general looked up to see where the arrows were coming from. A bolt of lightning illuminated the sky above him, For a brief moment, the general saw the silhouette of an armored man in the clouds, astride a winged horse. This was no army Iobates had sent against them. It was a single man. A moment later, an arrow pierced the general's eye socket. He collapsed to the ground, unmoving. Seeing their leader fall, the army fled back towards Salome. Any who stayed were mercilessly shot down by the winged archer. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. 
Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're finishing the story of Bellerophon, slayer of monsters and men alike. Last week, we followed his early years, from his bonding with Pegasus to his two consecutive exiles, one just and one unjust. Today, we're covering his time as a hero, working with the dubious patronage of King Iobates, who hated him deeply for a crime he did not commit. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Pegasus galloped along the river Xanthus, resting his wings for the battle to come. On his back, Bellerophon ran through his strategy in his head. He decided to arm himself lightly, as speed and agility mattered more than mere protection against the Chimera. He brought only two weapons with him, a spear and a bow. As a practiced hunter, Bellerophon was confident he could fire his bow from the air with no loss in accuracy. Perhaps he'd be able to slay the creature before he even felt the heat of its infernal breath. The Chimera was not difficult to track. When he saw half-melted breastplates and helmets embedded in the earth, he knew it was close. When the monster first appeared on the horizon, Bellerophon's breath caught in his throat. The descriptions he heard were accurate, but none of them could truly capture the horror of the creature he now faced. At its front was the head of a lion, jaws open wide in a ferocious snarl, bearing long curved teeth. From its midsection protruded the head of a goat, from whose lips emanated a horrible scream. Its tail was a snake, thick and glistening as it curled into the air behind the creature. As it breathed heavily, flames licked the edges of its leonine lips. Bellerophon imagined what it would be like to approach such a creature on a normal horse, and a shudder passed up his spine. Even riding a winged Terippus, he figured his chances were grim. He leaned into Pegasus' ear, whispering in preparation. Here we go, brother. Are you prepared? I will see you in Hades, my friend. Bellerophon knocked an arrow and took a deep breath. Needing both hands to use his bow, he took the reins in his teeth. He prayed that Pegasus would not slip out from between his legs as they approached. As the creature grew in Bellerophon's view, he could feel Pegasus' hooves leave the ground. Now flying, the Terippus was coming in low and fast, ready to bank as soon as the Chimera was in range of Bellerophon's bow. The Chimera raised its claws, Bellerophon's shot was true, and it struck the Chimera beneath its lion's chin. The monster let out a massive roar and opened its three sets of jaws wide. Pegasus swerved to avoid the creature's teeth, 
Bellerophon tightened his knees around the Terippus, feeling them slide ever so slightly against Pegasus' coat. He felt a wave of heat as they passed, and looking over his shoulder, he saw the grass below was aflame. Although they had scored a hit, the Chimera seemed more enraged than wounded. The snake tail hissed, the goat head screamed, the lion's mane was ringed with fire. Pegasus turned, and Bellerophon knocked another arrow. This was going to be a grueling fight. They dove again. The battle continued throughout most of the day. Pegasus circling, Bellerophon firing arrows, both staying just out of reach of the monster's flaming breath and claws. Bellerophon could tell his foe was weakening, but so was Pegasus. He could feel his companion's breath rasping against his knees and noted that his lips were flecked with foam. Even an immortal winged steed was not immune to exhaustion. Bellerophon looked down to his foe beneath them. It was aggravated, pacing restlessly beneath its prey. The snake that formed its tail coiled and uncoiled with fury. Bellerophon let his bow drop from his hands. He calmly took up his spear in both hands and gripped it tightly. This was not an ordinary spear. It was his last resort. Before leaving Iobates' palace, he asked the king's armorer to fashion him the strangest weapon he'd ever conceived, a spear with an ungainly lump of lead at the end instead of a point. Instructed to aid Bellerophon in any way he could, the skeptical armorer obliged. Pegasus, my friend, there's one more thing I need you to do. Dive straight at the beast's lion mouth. Do not pull away until I shove the spear down its throat. Trust me, this will work. A moment later, Pegasus dove toward the enraged monster. The chimera's six eyes widened in surprise. It had expected more circling, not a head-on attack. It opened its fire-breathing lion mouth to welcome them, teeth steaming with white-hot saliva. As they drew closer, Bellerophon raised the spear over his head and thrust it down into the creature's leonine throat. The spear was an ungainly fit, but with an extra shove, Bellerophon wedged it in firmly before releasing. The Chimera thrashed its claws, but Pegasus was already beating its wings backward and away. The Chimera's goat head snapped at the spear sticking out of its lion throat, breaking off the handle and eating it. But the tip remained. The Chimera coughed and gagged, then opened its lion mouth wide to release its flaming breath. Bellerophon felt the wave of hot air from the creature's throat, but no flames came forth. The Chimera's many eyes widened as the molten lead ran down its throat and into its lungs. The beast flailed and screamed, lion paws clawing at its throat with growing desperation. Until finally, with one last cough, the creature collapsed onto the ground shuddering. The last part to die was the serpent tail, which thrashed for minutes before it flopped onto the burnt earth beside the rest of the beast. We did it, Pegasus. We won. 
<laughs> I much desire to see Ayabedi's face when we return unharmed. Yes, we can walk back. You have more than earned the rest. Exhausted and slightly singed, the pair of them walked back towards the river Xanthus. And when he expected a hero's welcome, what he received from Iobates was scorn and skepticism. You refuse to credit my victory? What is the meaning of this? Truly, you are a great performer, Bellerophon. But to appear victorious, all you would have to do is singe yourself and claim to have slain the beast. I am no liar. I shall return with its head. Which head would that be? You could merely return with the head of a lion or a snake or an uncommonly large goat. Do you take me for a fool, Bellerophon? I took you for an honest man, but it appears I was deceived. Do not test my patience, former prince. I shall prove myself to you again. Give me another task, and I will return with proof of my heroism, or die trying. Iobates sat back on his throne, fingers interlaced beneath his chin. The boy may have slain the Chimera, but he could devise other tasks that would claim Bellerophon's life and avenge his daughter Antea's honor. When we return, Bellerophon answers the challenges of King Iobates and leaves a path of destruction in his wake. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Have you heard of a tribe called the Solomi? I have not, Your Majesty. They are the fiercest warriors I have ever encountered. Well-trained, well-armed, and my oldest enemy. You want me to do battle with them? No. I want you to conquer them. Bellerophon set off once again to do the king's bidding. As the man vanished over the horizon, Iobates allowed himself a small smile. He had faced the Salome many times and lost, there is no way a single man would be able to do what his entire army could not. He sat down on his throne and patiently awaited news of Bellerophon's defeat. Iobates sat up in his throne when the messenger returned. The man panted heavily, and his eyes were bulging as if they had beheld the face of a gorgon and somehow lived. Iobates did his best to hide his triumphant grin. The army from Salome, it is defeated. What? Prince Bellerophon overthrew your enemy, sire. He returns now with their flag to prove your victory. Get out of my sight. How could this happen? Could this loathsome criminal have the favor of the gods? Or is it merely a way for them to test my resolve? Your majesty? Leave! The king slumped back onto his throne, racking his brain for some new challenge he could devise for the would-be champion. 
If this went on too long, Bellerophon would become a hero to his people. Iobates could not let that happen. All the while, a doubt lingered at the back of his mind. What if Bellerophon had not assaulted his daughter? What if Proetus' message condemning Bellerophon was an exaggeration? Or worse, a jealous lie? Iobates shoved the thought aside as the throne room door opened, and he put on his practiced smile. As the courier had promised, Bellerophon carried with him a bloodied standard from Salome, which he dropped ceremoniously at Iobates' feet. Do you think me worthy now, King Iobates? My scout's report and this trophy are proof of some bravery, but it's not your final test. What more would you have me do? There is a nearby tribe of Amazons, women who each fight with the strength of a dozen men. Defeat them on the field of battle, and you will have proven yourself the hero you claim to be. As you wish, my king. I shall depart for their camp at sunrise. The dignified warrior stood and walked out of the room, not a single movement betraying how exhausted he was. Every muscle in his body ached, but adrenaline pulsed through his veins like rivers of ambrosia. Bellerophon had always dreamed of achieving great deeds. Now he was proving himself the warrior he had always thought he could be. He had never felt so alive. Before retiring to his chambers for the night, he met Pegasus by a crop of grass at the edge of the city. So comfortable with his presence, the Terippus barely reacted to him now. Bellerophon smirked, thinking how only a few years ago, Pegasus had almost leapt to the skies at the sight of him. The king is sending me out again tomorrow. I know. He will never be satisfied. You must understand, this is how I prove my honor. No, I do not think throwing him into the ocean would help. He is not a cruel man, just misled. Good night, my friend. Bellerophon returned to his chambers, letting his helm hang loosely from his fingertips. He dropped his armor to the floor and made his way to the bed. Psst. Who's there? Bellerophon drew his sword and pointed it toward the doorway behind him. A figure stepped from the hallway, a finger placed gently on her lips. A chill went up Bellerophon's spine, followed by a feeling of nausea. The woman standing there looked all too familiar. It was Antea. No, not Antea. Her face was rounder at the cheeks and there was no recognition in her eyes. This was her sister, Philino. Why do you look so distressed, my lord? I was not expecting company. Forgive me. I merely wished to see if it were true. If what were true? The things my father says about you. I, I apologize. My name is Philino. I am King Iobates' daughter. I know. So what does your father say about me? That you are crueler than you let on. That you put on a noble face but that you are not to be trusted. He is not terribly fond of me, yes. Why is that? He believes the lies that have followed me from Tyrans, word of crimes that I did not commit. Why do you not protest your innocence? What good would it do? 
I do not wish to complain or bemoan my fate. I would rather prove myself a better man than one who would commit the crime I am accused of. Well spoken, sir. Now that you have seen me in person, what is your assessment? I think you are honest, but in constant need of proving that honesty to others. There is a darkness in your past, but not the crime my father believes you guilty of. Is this correct? Very near the mark, yes. But now I... Get behind me. What is it? Armed men, outside the door. Filino barely had time to get behind Bellerophon before his door burst inward. A group of men in black cloaks stormed into the gloom, swords and wicked daggers clutched in their hands. With a cry, the first one swung his blade at Bellerophon. Bellerophon deflected the blade easily and slashed the attacker's face in response. The man fell back with a cry and landed in a heap by the doorway. Seeing Bellerophon awake and armed, the others were more hesitant to approach, fanning out to form a semicircle around the trapped hero. Bellerophon struck out first, gouging the nearest assailant in the arm, forcing him to drop his blade. He then fell on the others with a flurry of sword strokes. A red haze obscured his vision, and his would-be attackers became a vague cloud of blades and blood. When his vision cleared, they all lay on the floor, dead or dying. In the corner, Filino was shaking, some idle blood spatter speckling her face. Bellerophon approached and wiped the blood from her brow. Did they hurt you? Uh, No. Who were they? Forgive the presumption, but I have only one enemy in the city. He would never. Now that the Salome failed to kill me, He's growing desperate. Perhaps he wanted to tire me before I face the Amazons tomorrow. We do not know for sure where these men came from. They could be jealous bandits looking to make a name for themselves. If that thought comforts you, I will not keep you from holding it. For now, I must say goodnight. I have another great ordeal tomorrow, and I do not wish to put you in the path of more violence. Promise me you will not harm my father. As his guest, And as an honest man, I promise. Does that satisfy you? It does. Be safe. And with one last farewell look, Filino disappeared from his doorway. The Amazons were a far tougher opponent than the Salome had been, rivaling the Chimera in their ferocity. But even as his muscles ached from exhaustion, Bellerophon did not flinch away from combat. Knowing he could not beat them in open battle, he dislodged large boulders from a nearby mountain and dropped them onto the awaiting warriors. Their arrows whizzed by him, dangerously close at times, one clipping his earlobe. Eventually, the Amazons too yielded to the man from the skies. On his third victory, Bellerophon felt a glow of pride in his chest. He would go down in history as the greatest warrior the world had ever seen. The sort of man artists would carve statues of for years to come. He was going to be a legend. This time, Iobates was prepared for the hero's triumphant return. Rows and rows of his elite guards stood outside the palace walls in formation. The moment for pretense was past. To avenge Antea, 
Iobates must slay this man himself. When we return, King Iobates makes his final attempt at Bellerophon's life. Now back to the story. Bellerophon's heart sank as Pegasus descended toward Lycia. The pride he felt at his victory over the Amazons was almost completely forgotten as he saw the rows of soldiers standing before the city gates. He was unarmed, having left his bow, sword, and spears behind on the battlefield. How was he to face such a foe? He alighted by the riverbank, far ahead of the army. He almost resigned himself to turn and flee. When his companion spoke to him, he had a suggestion. Dare I? It is a great favor. You are right. It is our only chance. Lord Poseidon, Father, I have never asked you for anything before, but this king has been poisoned against me by false words. We stand by the river Xanthus. Send your fury through it and show him that I have your blessing. It began as the river lapping at Bellerophon's heels, then grew to the sound of a distant storm, and then the water behind Bellerophon rushed into the air, a wave hundreds of meters high. It hovered behind him, churning impatiently, like a dog waiting for its meal. Bellerophon grinned and turned back to the city. Pegasus began a slow trot. Behind them, the wave approached, matching their pace. The Terippus increased in speed, eventually lifting from the ground. As they sped toward the palace guards, the wave grew louder behind them, white foam cresting at its peak. Seeing the approaching wrath of Poseidon, the guards dropped their weapons and fled into the city. Bellerophon and his father's wave swept in behind them, crashing over the battlements like a rock on a beach. Panic spread to the palace fast. Iobates awoke from a midday nap to see a crowd of noblewomen running past him. Among them was his daughter, Philino. Philino, why do you run toward the gates? Bellerophon saw your army, and he bears the might of Poseidon upon us. We must face our fate. Why not escape to the highest ground? We would rather die than see our city consumed by the ocean. Daughter, come with me. Do not sacrifice yourself. Someone must take the blame for your actions. With that, Philino and the women ran out of the palace, leaving Iobates by his throne, shaking in fear. Bellerophon was halfway through his flight to the palace when he stopped, amazed. Below Pegasus' wings, a line of women blocked the main street. They held their arms out as if to stop the encroaching waves with their bodies. And at their center was Philino, head proudly turned up at him, no fear in her eyes. If you wish to take anyone in this city, take us. We would rather our lives be forfeit than see our city dashed to ruin by the tide. Is this truly what you wish? If it is the will of the gods, we are resigned to it. Bellerophon descended toward the women, waves shrinking behind him as he went. When he touched the ground, they dwindled away, 
running in streams back out the gates and into the river. Worry not. This shall not be your fate. Thank you, sir. Bellerophon! Bellerophon, stop this madness! Iobates ran out of the palace, yelling. He stopped short when he saw his daughter and Bellerophon standing feet apart, the water running off into the horizon. I was wrong. The gods would not bless a man as wicked as I believed you to be. Please, forgive an old man his slights. I bear you no ill will, my king. If you wish to furnish a feast, I will explain to you the cause of this misunderstanding. Of course. You are a hero and shall be recognized as such. In fact, to remedy my wrongs against you, I offer you a gift. What would you ask of me? There is only one thing I desire. If she would have me. Well, if it's between that and flooding the city. Do you have any objections, father? <laughs> None at all. Let us feast, like we did when you first entered my halls. The news of Bellerophon and Philino's marriage spread throughout the continent, from the city of Tyrans to Bellerophon's home in Corinth. Carried with that news was the story of the reconciliation between Iobates and the new hero of Lycia. In Tyrans, Antea sat up every night, thinking about how her plan to ruin Bellerophon had failed. At first, she felt a mixture of fury and self-pity, but slowly, her feelings melted to regret. She confessed to her husband that it was not Bellerophon who forced himself on her, but rather she had forced herself on him. Before he could respond, she fled his chamber, tears of guilt streaming down her face. That night, she leapt from the palace's highest window, dashing herself to death on the rocks below. For Bellerophon, years passed in happiness. Philino bore him three children, who they named Paysander, Hippolycus, and Laodamaya. They were all strong and grew with the quiet support of both their grandfathers, Iobates and Poseidon. Pegasus remained close with Bellerophon, but as he was a wild creature at heart, would not settle down. The Terippus regularly visited, and Bellerophon would reminisce of their old adventures with him. Philino left her husband alone for these visits. She saw no harm in his nostalgia. Until, one night as they lay beside each other, Bellerophon spoke to her. Have I passed my prime, Philino? What do you mean? What do the people remember me for? Slaying the Chimera, the Salome, the Amazons? All that feels so far behind me now. That was more than enough adventure for a lifetime. Is it? I still dream of flying, reaching for ever greater deeds of heroism. What more could you accomplish? You are the most famous hero this side of the Argolid. You are revered, loved even. There is no task so great that it should call you away from your family. Ah, but there is. I am loved by the gods, the son of Poseidon, the only man who has ever ridden a Terippus. You need not convince me of your greatness. I am already your wife. 
I shall fly toward Olympus. From what madness was this idea born? No madness, but pride. I deserve to meet the gods. Not through an altar or a dream, but face to face. I wish to kneel at their feet and have them acknowledge my achievements. Tell me you jest. I do not. I am the only man living with the means to make such a journey. It shall be the final chapter in my legacy. Pegasus has agreed to it. We fly tomorrow morning. You are mad. Tell me you will return. I... I cannot promise that. I wish to, but I do not know what will happen once I behold the gods. Then I cannot give you my blessing. I would not have you abandon your children for such a foolish flight of fancy. I love you, Philano. But this is my destiny. You are a fool. Bellerophon waited by the steps of their palace the next morning, but Philano never emerged to see her husband off. Perhaps she thought that he would realize the error of his ways when he saw she did not support him, but he shook off the thought and mounted his oldest friend. Are you ready, Pegasus? Imagine if Deliades could see us now. Let's fly. Bellerophon and Pegasus rose into the air. Below them, a small crowd watched as they ascended toward the heavens, the Terippus turning into a small white dot in the morning sky. Bellerophon laughed with joy. It was just like flying for the first time all over again. They passed through the clouds and broke the surface into the clearest blue sky he had ever seen. He let go of Pegasus' mane and raised his arms open to either side. He was free and ready to accept his destiny. Even as he disappeared from the crowd's view below him, another pair of eyes saw him rise. At his throne on Olympus, Zeus watched the hero grow higher and higher, nearing the Golden City. His eyes narrowed. This man may be the son of Poseidon, but no man could pass through Olympus' gates uninvited. Zeus wove two strands of air together into a gadfly, large and bulbous by mortal standards. With a breath from his mighty lungs, Zeus pushed the fly out of Olympus and down towards Bellerophon and Pegasus. Bellerophon did not hear the fly over the roaring of the wind, nor would he have paid it much mind even if he had. But Pegasus noticed when it alighted on his rump. A second later, it stung. Pegasus bucked wildly, attempting to dislodge the gadfly. Bellerophon, not prepared for the sudden movement, was thrown off Pegasus' back. He tumbled through the clouds. As he looked back to the sky, he saw Pegasus vanish into a golden light just above them. Pegasus made it to Olympus, and Zeus opened the gates for the Terippus, bearing no ill will toward an immortal creature entering his domain. He had a use for such a steed. He would have Pegasus ferry thunderbolts from Hephaestus to himself. He dared not refuse a god, and Pegasus grimly realized that, in his pride, he had said goodbye to freedom. Miles below, Bellerophon miraculously survived his fall, landing in a thornbush in the wilderness. 
but the thorns put out his eyes, blinding him. He spent the remainder of his years wandering the wasteland in rags. He would never find his way home. The man who slew monsters and conquered armies ultimately fell victim to his own hubris. Bellerophon's tragic fate is hardly unique among Greek legends. Like Oedipus, his blindness becomes a symbol of repentance and utter humility. Of all the heroes in Greek mythology, Bellerophon has the rare distinction of being more obscure than the side characters in his story. In this case, both Pegasus and the Chimera are household names to anyone with a passing knowledge of Greek mythology, while the man who rode and slew them respectively is relatively unknown. But his name still sneaks its way into popular culture if you look hard enough. During World War II, the British airborne forces used the image of Bellerophon riding Pegasus as their emblem, perhaps a callback to Bellerophon's multiple airborne victories in the face of daunting odds. And in 1995, astronomers at the University of Geneva announced the discovery of 51 Pegasi b, a planet roughly 50 light-years away from Earth in the Pegasus constellation. It was the first planet outside of our solar system discovered to be orbiting a sun-like star. Astronomer Jeffrey Marcy dubbed this planet Bellerophon, after the hero who very nearly made it to heaven. Thanks for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, Sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Robert Teamstra. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Rebecca Ahrens Diamond, Heston Mosier, and Alastair Murden. I'm Vanessa Richardson.